that uh, in this one long passage. And then we get to, to Romans chapter 7, which is where we're going to be today, and we, we get into this passage that's really kind of tricky to read. Um, it, it's, there's some tongue-tying things, so I, I apologize now before we get into if I stumble and, and, and do some of that. Um, but, but it's going to be a challenging passage to read through. It's a challenging passage for us to pray through, and a challenging passage definitely to teach and preach through as well. So let's go ahead, if you've got your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 7. Um, as we take a look at this passage today. Here we go, Romans 7, starting with verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you, have, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear the fruit of God, fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which helped, held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not of the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it has not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the command came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing opportunity through the, through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So that the law, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might be sin, might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I want, if I do what I do not want, 
it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I do when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members another in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for difficult passages of Scripture today. I thank you for for passages that are not just difficult to read because they tongue-tie us, but are difficult to read because they speak to our heart in a way that, that convict us. And I pray that that be the case today, Lord, that as we read through uh, Romans 7 and we study through it and we, we hear it proclaimed that you would speak to us and convict us and draw us closer to you through that. Father, I pray that you would put me aside and that the words that are here that are prepared, that they be of you. And that we as a body of Christ use them to apply them to our lives and glorify you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So in Romans 6, we learned that through our union with Christ, believers receive not just salvation, right, but also the power to walk in the newness of life because of the power of Christ within us. And in, in Romans 7, 1 through eight seventeen. this next kind of chunk we're going to be looking at, Paul is going to flesh that out a little bit more. And so today we're starting to look at chapter 7, how he starts to flesh that out. And what we see is that throughout the book of Romans, the apostle here affirms salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. And while affirming the value of the Old Testament at the same time, he's not throwing out the baby with the, with the bathwater here. He's, he's, here's Jesus. This is affirming of what he does through faith in Christ alone. But he uses the Old Testament, it's, and it's not a bad thing, right? He defends the unity of the New Testament and the Old Testament through doing this. And that's important. And in this chapter, Paul both confirms and defends the gospel message of Jesus Christ. He confirms the truth of being released from the law and united in Christ. And in doing so, he also defends the assertion that, that insisting that the law is not devalued, right? That the law is still good. He reminds us that the law should lead us to Christ, who then alone can deliver us from the penalty and the controlling power and the, uh, eventually the, the presence of sin in our, on our lives. So we've got to answer a couple questions here before we kind of move too much further. Right? The first one is, what law is Paul referring to? Right? Is he talking about Indiana Code, such and such, and, and blah, blah? No, he's not. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the Mosaic Law of the, New Testament, or the Old Testament. He's talking about when Moses went up on Sinai, got the tablets, brought them down. These are the laws of God. And then how that fleshed out even more. Right? And then he's asked the question, we have to ask her, who are those who know the law? Right? Well, they're the believers in Christ who should be aware and who would be aware of Old Testament teachings. It might also be folks who he would refer to as God-fearing Greeks. 
right? Um, not just Jewish believers, but believers who came because they took a look at the Old Testament like, ooh, this is better than what we've got in our Hellenistic society. We prefer this, studied it, and then came to Christ through that as well. So there's going to be several folks really that in this church in Rome that is um, multi-ethnic that Paul would know knew the Old Testament Scripture. And so he's letting both of those groups and all of those groups really know. All right, so that's, that's who he's talking about. And what the law does here, though, is the law shows us the holiness of God. It reveals to us our own sin and the impossibility of escaping our sin under our own power. Right? The law cannot save us. The law cannot acquit us of our sin or from our sin. It, it shows us that we need Jesus who fulfilled the law and paid the penalty for us. And that's why Paul is making the, assert, the, the assertion that the law is good. So in verses 1 through 6, Paul describes how the followers of Christ have been released from the law and are now wedded to Jesus. Being wedded to Jesus enables Christ's followers to serve in the newness of life through the Holy Spirit that he talked about in chapter 6. We're reminded that the law only applies to the living. I think that's, that's something we sometimes, I don't know, it, it's something that should kind of make sense to us. Like, if I'm deceased, they can't write me a traffic ticket for 75 and a 55. That wouldn't make sense. I couldn't do that. I'm released from that law. He uses uh, a different kind of analogy here to show us that death annuls the law's authority over you. And he, he uses a different analogy to show us that death delivers you from the obligations of the law. He uses an illustration of marriage to help us understand that. Right? When a woman is widowed, she is no longer legally bound to her husband. She is free to remarry. And that's what Paul's saying here, that we have, not, have died to this. Right? We have died to the law through death on the cross with Christ, and we are now free to be wed to Christ. And that's what he's saying in verse 4. We see that. The followers of Christ have been freed from that law through the death of Christ. Believers have shared in his death, and we saw that back in, in chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. That they remind us that, that we, are, we are a partner in Jesus' death, and when he was on the cross, our sins were on the cross with him. When he was buried, we were buried in that likeness, that, that all these things kind of show together. Christ's death has released us from our marriage to the law, and we are now remarried to Jesus. And marriage is a really good illustration for the Christian life, right? Christ is our loving groom, our head of the family. He's our good shepherd, right? We're united to him. We're united with him, just as we are united with our own spouses, right? Yet, yet our relationship with Christ is the best of all relationships we can have. I love Leah. I am so glad that I get to wake up every morning next to Leah. She's not as good a relationship as my relationship with Jesus Christ. She can't do for me what Jesus has already done for me. My relationship with her is great. And I ask her about it, and she may, you know, say, eh, I could use a little work. I, but... She's saying it's great. All right, I love getting a thumbs up from the booth. Um, but, but there's still what she can do in, in our relationship, what I can do for her in our relationship, compares nothing to what Jesus has already done when we have a relationship with Him. 
See, our relationship with Jesus is the best we can have. We are united to Him. And we are also not just united with Him in His death, but united with Him in that resurrection. Right? Our union with Jesus means that we have the status and the power and the security that Jesus Christ brings to us. And the purpose of our union with Christ is so that we may bear fruit for God. Right? Um, looking at, at the end of verse 4, that we may bear fruit for God. Fruitfulness in our lives means 